I've been gone for a couple of Sundays. Some of you are like, you've been gone like a month, two months. Where, you, where are you? And some are like, you were gone? So that's the, the uh, I'll give an update on that. My daughter got married. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. I wanted to start by uh, giving you an update as well. So this past July, um, I shared with all of you that I really felt like God was really calling us and leading us to come to, uh, in a few things, to come back together as a church. We've had uh, kind of different services where people have met in different places for different reasons, and it was an amazing season for that. But after 18 years, we're just God really calling us, hey, come back together as a church. Be back together. Um, Secondly, that really to put ourselves in a position that we could provide two worship services for people who can be able to serve and go to church in the same day, which right now we have one service in a very large room. It's really hard for us to do two services and split the current size of our church in half. And that's the other thing, to create a space that suits us in our present story of, of, of our church. Um, which is great and amazing, and it's also getting back to the space that our church first met in. So if you're newer, you're like, what are you talking about? This is the second space we've met in. The first space is our chapel right over um, there. So I'm very much looking forward to this. In fact, next week we're going to start a, a new series where I'm really going after the season of like, how do we come together? What is the life of the church? What is God's call, I believe, for Calvary Church after a church that's almost 75 years old? Is it possible for a church that's 75 years old to be refreshed and renew and be reset? I believe absolutely. I've been a part of churches for a long time and seen churches around our country. Um, a lot of times churches that get to a certain phase aren't able to pivot and they just become something that's non-existent and that's not our story that's not who we are so i wanted to show some things uh some we are starting to remodel or we have started this past july and mark and tim and jason are doing an amazing job i think we have some pictures just to kind of give you an update are they up there there we go so that's like what it looked like before in july and now We've redone the stage, we're redoing the whole back wall, the rocks from the 80s are coming down, it's going to be refreshed. So that's what the back of the room looked like with the large, what we'd call the tower and the balcony covered up, and that's what it looks like now with just a lot more space, opening up the balcony for the future, those kinds of things. So it's going to be a great uh, place for us to gather and meet starting in January, and I just wanted to uh, give you an update on that, that's how it's going. And in the future, we're going to have some time where we want you to come over and pray in that space and write on the, on the studs, if you will. We've had some time as a staff where we've done that, but we want you to write prayers and uh, giving things to God in the midst of that coming up the next few weeks. So be aware of that. Let me read our scripture for this morning. It comes from Mark 6, chapter 7 through 13. Mark wrote this, Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals. That's my favorite part. Wear sandals. I'm going to start wearing sandals at church. But not an extra shirt. So detailed. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and they healed them. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this morning. We come with expectant hearts of what you have to say, of what you want to do. God, I recognize that some have come here with heavy hearts of the events of life. I pray that they would feel your spirit, that they would be lifted, that you have their future and you have their present. Some come rejoicing. May they rejoice well and may we rejoice with them. May we be a place that mourns with those who mourn, weeps with those who weep, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. May we be present in each other's lives. I pray for this morning. In your name, amen. As I told you, my daughter just got married. I just have a few pictures in case you want to see. That's my dad and Lisa and I and the couple. That was the view. My dad was 87. He made the trip. It was awesome. Just there you go. So that's proof that I had emotions during the uh, ceremony. I'll tell you that that is sack. There's my daughter and her Anna and her new husband. That's weird to say. This guy that is, is around a lot named Jacob. <laughs> nah. And that's, that's me grooving. My daughter wanted to do like this choreographed dance. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. And so then she goes, let's do Taylor Swift. I'm like, I ain't doing that. So I'm like, if you play Stevie Wonder, I promise I'll deliver. Let's just say I delivered for those of you who were there. We did a little father-daughter dance. A lot of people ask me, how do you feel? How did you feel? You know, any time that we're in a common thing, I've done a lot of weddings. So in a lot of ways, it felt like, a, like it, it may sound, it just felt like a wedding to me. Like I know how to feel. And there's, there's things that are, when we feel stress or emotions, there's things that we try to grasp onto that feel familiar, right? We grasp, like, this feels familiar. Um, and so I was doing a wedding and then, you know, I walked my daughter up and then Christy did a great job at the beginning. And then it was my turn to do some things. And much to the chagrin of my friends and my family, I held it together emotionally. All the way. I thought I was going to cross the finish line. I was like 99% done. It was the moment where I was pronouncing them husband and wife that all of a sudden, like, I now pronounce you. I'm like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> I have said that phrase a hundred something plus times. I've done a lot of weddings. And I was always like, this is great, husband and wife. But for me, at that moment, it was just like God's like, You've held it together. You will not hold it together right now. And I'm like, I pronounce you. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I think my brothers started clapping. They're like, finally, there it is. There, there it is. But I can tell you in that moment, it was so surreal and important. Like, this is actually significant. It is so easy to go through rhythms of life, isn't it? Like, just kind of, this is what we do. That's how we do it. This is the thing. But there, that moment, God's like, you're not, this is so significant it's a change from this to this I was shocked how much I felt it in that moment not because it was my daughter but then I felt like how many times have I just said those words so if I did your wedding I meant it <laughs> I did but that one still sticks with me that moment because there's a lot of times we can just say things right honestly and there's a lot of times we can go through the motions. And not that I was going through the motions ever, but it just was like, it just reminded me of like my own time, right? That's what weddings do. They remind you of maybe of a, a, your, your wedding or a wedding you've been to. It reminds you of something. It reminded me of the time when I got married to Lisa and the words I said to her. And I meant everything as far as I understood them, right? I meant, I, I couldn't even imagine there being a time in my life where I wouldn't do these things for her. 
But then life happens, right? Events happen. And you don't know what you don't know. Right? You, you can read books. I would hear sermons. I, w- I would be inspired about how to be the husband God has called me to be. And I would go home like, that's who I'm going to be. But you don't know what you don't know. One experience that was significant for me and impactful that goes on to what we're talking about today. There was a time I was a, uh, in my, we were married about four years maybe, five years, and I was a youth pastor at this church up in San Mateo. And I was very driven. I wanted to be the best. And so I was out Tuesday night with the high schoolers, Wednesday night with the junior hires, Thursday night with college. I was also coaching high school football at the time, and I think I started to take seminary classes on, I don't know, I was out all the time. And the groups were growing. We had hundreds of people coming to Jesus. My football team was coming and knowing Jesus. I thought, this is everything I've dreamed of, right? I'm a pastor. This is growing. My name is starting to get out there in some weird little circle. I don't know, like all of these things. I've asked to speak at camps. I'm like, I'm living the dream. And I'd come home one night and my wife was in tears. And she looked at me and she says, I'm sitting here by myself. I'm like, well, the dogs are here, which didn't help. I know now what not to say. And there's this poignant moment where my wife looked at me and said, everybody gets the best of you, and I just get the leftovers. Because I'd come home and I was exhausted, and I was tired, and I just expected Lisa to just like, well, come on, I'm doing the work of the Lord. What do you want me to do? She's like, this needs to change or else. Now, that's the moment where God did shut my mouth because I didn't want to know what the or else was. Now, my response in the moment was very apologetic. and I'm sure she appreciated that. I started to change some things of my patterns of my life short term. And I think that was helpful for her. But really what she was looking for was like the promises you made back then, I want them to show up now in the future. Because life hits us. Events happen. And in that moment, which was, I don't know, 20 years ago, more than that, 25 years ago. Wow, almost 30 years ago. How old are we? <laughs> I still to this day thank her for doing that. Like, I, I am so thankful that you did that that you stood up. Because honesty is a gift from those who we've made vows to. See, in moments like that, we say and do things in the short term, but it's really where we need to go in the long term. At this point in Jesus' ministry, back to our verses, they'd seen a lot of things, right? They'd seen him just now. They saw Jesus' authority over over nature, because in the boat, in a storm, he's like, be quiet. They've seen that. They saw his authority over demons. They went across the lake and he healed this man, had thousands of, of demons in him, and it was gone. they seen his authority over that. They saw his authority over people who were diseased, that even to the point where someone just came and touched him and, he was, and they were healed. They'd seen these amazing things. And sometimes we miss this moment that in each one of these moments, there was a call to respond. After the storm, he looked at the disciples and said, where is your faith? implying you need to live this faith out that you say you have. You need to live it out. 
After freeing the possessed man, he says, go home and tell people about the mercy of the Lord. When God works, you need to move. After healing the women, he says, go in peace. Live out the peace that is now within you. You see, with each supernatural, miraculous movement of Jesus, there's also this response of like, now go and do. You see, Jesus implements his power, then asks for his response of faith, of mercy, and of peace. At this point in the story, it's, it's difficult to really even exaggerate how unready the disciples appeared to be to be sent out. They were still kind of a mess. I mean, I, it's easy to throw stones at them. I would have been a mess too. Like, I, like what's really happening here? The impression that Mark has created so far is, isn't the real super shining light on these guys. That's also how we kind of know it's true, because otherwise, why, why we wouldn't promote them this way? He probably would write, oh, and then the super Peter did this. But it was constant doubt. They're sensitive to his extraordinary perception, yet they're sent out in pairs to help each other out. This is the mission they had. They went out and preached that people should repent. Then they drove out demons, and then they anointed many sick people who healed them. This is an interesting concept. The first line is go out and preach about their eternity. Tell people about their eternity being secure with him. The second level is go and free people from the demonic oppression that also tells them about the future. This evil that, that the, the whole thing Jesus came to do is to separate us from this evil. And then the third level of this was go heal them. This temporary solution physically but it also points to an eternal existence. So everything was pointing to eternity. I find that so often, though, that even though these were the levels of what they were doing, our prayer life, or our things that we're looking for in Jesus, really is kind of like make us feel better. Heal this temporary thing. Which isn't a bad thing to pray for. Man, I pray for healing every day almost. But Jesus is like, man, there's a top line of this. So go out and do this. Sending them out on their own may have looked like a public opinion risk, right? They reflect him, like what's Jesus really all about? But I think as Patrick talked about last week, maybe Jesus saw in the eyes of his disciples this complacency. Maybe he saw in them, they need to go out and do some things. Because it's easy just being with me. It's easy being with others who are also with me. It's easy being a light in a light store, a little tougher being a light out there in the darkness. Maybe they needed to experience the difficulty. Maybe they needed to experience the amazement. Maybe they needed to experience the blessing of those who received them. Maybe they needed to experience the rejection of those who didn't. Because one of the things that Jesus is saying with them is that I am with you in all of these things. I am with you in the storm. I am with you when you go in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm with you. I am with you in the rejection. I am with you in the amazement. And if they didn't go and experience who God was as they went, they would have been stunted. We have to be free from our own systems of thought sometimes. Jesus looked at him and like the next step for you is you have to go. 
you have to, I'm with you, but you got to go. You know, looking kind of at my own life, here are some things that I've learned that I really needed to be freed from. The first one is the control that I thought I had, I never have really had it. Sure, there's things I can control, like where I eat or when I wake up, potentially. But I remember when I got, when I got diagnosed with MS, like, that hit me like, wait, the control I thought I had, I, I, I've never really had it, and that's okay. Because it's a false sense of security. The second thing that I've really discovered is that in order for my character to be adequately developed, it needs to be exposed, and it needs to be addressed. I mean, that's that moment with Lisa, like, no, this isn't right. Character development in our lives is something that we try to hold so close together. But my character to be developed, it needed to be exposed, and people needed to call me out on it. Otherwise, I'm just hiding. The third thing that I learned is that being confident in my dependency on God does not come alone from what I know. What I've studied, what I've heard, it comes from experiencing it firsthand. And I'm sitting in the seats with you on that one. It comes from experiencing it firsthand. I have letters after my main that prove that I have education. I have roles in the community and I teach at a seminary which could be impressive to some of you. But none of that has helped me in my dependency on God. It's when life gets really tough and I see him come through. A story that you may have known because you've known me for a while, but there was a poignant time in my life. I was a young youth pastor. I went to Russia and I was there for, uh, we didn't really know why we were there. We just got picked up every day and dropped off places. And they're like, here, go to the school. They don't know anything about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Go. You know, we showed up in a women's prison. I'm like, where are we? We're in a prison. Who's here? About 5,000 women. I don't know. It's in the middle of Siberia. You're going to preach to them. I'm like, what do I say? At the end of the trip, we were at a church, and I thought I was done preaching because at the church, the senior guy preached, and I was just a youth pastor. And I walked into the back room, and they're like, we're going to have three sermons today. I'm like, sweet, who's preaching? The first sermon will be by Dolovich. That's what they called me. That's my name in Russian, in case you're wondering. Dolovich. I was going to try to go with that, but I gave up. And I'm like, oh, so then I thought I'll give like a five-minute devotional. And he's like, nope, you're going to preach. When we preach, you preach for at least 45 minutes. Everything in my mind that I've ever learned at that point left my head. So then I'm like, I'm going to prepare during the worship time. He's like, there's one song and then you're on. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, what's going to happen here? So we sang a song in Russian. It wasn't even helpful. And I'm sitting in the front and they're like, Dolovich? So I had my interpreter, and this place was packed, packed. They'd only been free for a few years. People traveled like three hours to come to church. They were walking there to hear the American preacher. Little did they know the American preacher was me and dumbfounded. There was a track, a religious track called the Four Spiritual Laws. And the first law is like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I think I said that about 20 times in a row. I said it in different, God loves you, and God really loves you. Do you know how much God loves you? God loves you. 
You know, I didn't know. And then I came up with these random... By the end of this sermon, it was the worst sermon ever given in humankind. So I finished. I looked at the clock. Is that long enough? And the interpreter's like, yeah, that's, that's plenty long. So I went and sat down, and the pastor of the church was like, Dolovich, ask them, to, ask them to come forward to receive Jesus. I'm like, nobody's receiving anything after that message. Because I was convinced it was on me. I'm like, that's the worst sermon. Like, so I went back up, and literally this is what I did. If you want to know Jesus, come forward at this time. And the interpreter was like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then I turned around again. And the pastor's just crying, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I've ruined church for you. I turned around, and there was this family coming down. He's like, we've been praying for that family for three years. Da, da, da. And there were this other people. That, and all these people came forward. I'm like, what are you receiving? I don't think I even told them anything about Jesus. I just said, God, love, love. You know. And God in that moment grabbed me and was like, dude, it ain't about you. Just be faithful. Just go. I've been working. I'm always working in other things. You just give the open the door and let him come. I was 24 years old. That changed my life. It changed how I see things. The pressure of like human performance is gone because God wants to move. You see, there's another time in Jesus's ministry where we hear something very, very similar. This time he's not sending out the 12 disciples, he's sending out the 70 or 72 other disciples and other people that were around them. It's almost the same instructions, let me read it to you, but there's something here for us. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the harvest. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house when you enter a town and are welcomed. Eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God come near so it's very specific instructions for these people but i think there's a lot of things in here that are transferable for us to it today you see a total dependence on jesus is reinforced also by a dependence and support of each other there's a significant part where jesus is saying go and there will be people who receive you it is so important in the kingdom of God that there are people who receive each other, who pass blessing to each other. Hold on a sec. You see, there's a significant call to a decreasing level of self-reliance. Let's be honest. We have built this valley and our area on self-reliance. What I can do. I mean, a lot of places in our country, but what I can do, what I can get accomplished, I'm taking control of my own life. 
It goes back to the control you think you have. You've never really had it. So we take this self-reliance and self-dependence into a relationship with Jesus, and we're just expecting things for him to do for us. It is only when we let go and realize, I'm going to do what God's called me to do, but Jesus needs to come through. And there's a dependence on him. There's a reliance on him. So he asks us to do these things, and he tweaks it to go like, I need to create some scenarios for you to even see this. I think there's some identifying things that are really important for us. Maybe this week, if you're in a small group or discussion, you go, man, how does this fit? The first thing he says is, be aware. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You may be seen as vulnerable. None, none of us like to be vulnerable. This is why we hold so many things close to the vest. I don't want people to see me. He goes, that's the appearance. But it's not true. Because selflessness can appear to be vulnerable, but the opposite of it is narcissism and control. Which isn't kingdom values at all. He was calling it out in advance because following Jesus, let's be honest, can feel like a minority thing for a while, right? It can feel like we're just a small little group. And some of that gets magnified by who you're talking to and who you're listening to and who's telling you that. It's not about keeping score. It's about how real Jesus is in your life. So be aware. The second thing is really around let God provide. He says, do not bring a purse or a bag they became so dependent on others to fulfill what God was asking them to do. You see, there's a system in the kingdom of God. There's a system within the church where we're called to go and expect the unexpected. When's the last time you've been like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for the unexpected. Have you put yourself in a position that if God came through, you actually saw it? That was another stage for Lisa and I. We pray desperately, God, when you move, we want to see it. We're just too comfortable. Both had jobs. We could pay for things. Like, and then I prayed that prayer, and he put us in a situation where like, we saw him come through. It's not comfortable. It's hard. But it's amazing. He's calling us to go out and patiently expect the unexpected. You see, the church is actually built on this hospitality isn't just a church growth thing. Like, hey, say hi to everybody. Be nice to everybody. Maybe they'll come back next week. That's, not, that, that's just like outward thing. We want to be nice to each other. But actual hospitality, actually taking care of each other, actually making sure there's no need among us, actually like going and being the presence of Jesus in dark places, those kind of that's the king, that's the church. It's not a strategy. It's the call. The third thing he says is to extend your blessing when you enter a house. First say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. Man, there's a beautiful thing here where God is calling us to be conduits of his peace. Do you enter into situations and cause more chaos or do you break chaos? Do you have an anxious presence which is totally contagious are you looking for things to complain about? Or is it like, I have a non-anxious presence? You see, there's a conduit of peace. There's a conduit even in our words of saying to each other, may the peace of Christ be with you, God's peace upon you. And resting in that. We're called to break the chaos, not bring the chaos. We're also called to say, I'm carrying this burden. Will you help me? 
in the body of Christ is like, yes, I can help you with that. How do we ease the path for each other? The fourth thing he says is around contentment. Do not move around from house to house. Don't go like, man, this house accepted me, but man, that house is way nicer. I, I gotta, I'm going to go over here now. He's like, be content. Contentment. Contentment isn't just settling. Contentment is like, this is what's been provided for me. It's not like, it's like I, what can I do with what I have? Not like my life would be better if I had more. Paul talks about contentment. In fact, his scripture, his writing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is about contentment. Because he's like, I've learned to live with nothing. I've learned to live with everything. And I've been content because Christ gives me contentment. Contentment, it's a kingdom feature. It's a church feature. The final thing he says is be flexible. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Now, this one might be, this is the hardest one when I took youth overseas everywhere. Like, eat what's offered to you. And like, I don't even know what it is. It's moving. I'm like, well, grab a napkin, put it in your pocket. Remember that you put it in your pocket because it's going to stink later and then get rid of it. The issue isn't just around that, but it's flexibility. In times of pressure... Don't we just kind of grab for control a lot of times? Like, oh, I want this. Right. Flexibility and openness is one of the most, probably one of the markers of like, do I really believe what God's going to say, what, that he's here with me, that I'm okay with change, that I breathe through the change? You see, a few verses later, we get to see the result of their trip. We don't get to see it with the disciples, but they come back and say this. The 72 returned with joy and said, let even the demons submit to us. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, Man, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the end of the day, what Jesus calls is not like, wow, that was amazing. He wasn't referring to like the power and he wasn't referring to all these. He's like, at the end of the day, he's like, you're with me. Your eternity is with me. Be thankful for that. Rejoice in that. At the end of the day, my friend, that's what God looks at you and goes, man, I want you with me. It's your life. It's your future. See, this goes back to purpose, eternity versus the temporary. Quickly, just some observations as we close. As followers of Jesus, we can engage with others with compassion, kindness, and respect only when we're just deeply confident that Jesus is with us. Right? The moments of peace that we have, we're just like, I'm confident. And it's so much more than just me telling you that. You've actually experienced it. And you experience it when you step into places you may not go on your own. When you don't know the next right thing to do, my encouragement for you is to go back to what you do know, what you have experienced, where you saw God come through. There are times in Lisa and I's life where we had to make some choices and we're like, we've seen God come through here, here, and here. Why would he stop now? So we boldly went into that next phase, unknowing. If you don't have those moments of recognition of like, how has God come through? As an individual, as a group of friends, as a couple, like, and you need to claim those. You need to have those markers. God came through here. 
And God came through here. Because there's going to be those new moments in your life when you have a teenager or whatever. And they're like, God, where are you right now? And you have to pull back and go, God came through here, here, and here. He's going to come through again. Let's pray into that. But if you never take the time to remember, you're not going to look forward with confidence. Finally, a body of believers that plays it safe is rarely influential to the world around them. We can be a place for the past 75 years and you're like, this might be my first week. (laughs) For 75 years, we have markers where God came through and it's amazing. But God's not asking us to go back and do what we did then. He has new things for us now. So instead of being complacent and rejoicing what God did do, how about we be anticipating, that's a tough word, anticipating new things of what God wants to do. Why would he stop now? And the goal isn't as a 55-year-old man to redo who I was when I was 30. What does God have right now for me in my stage of my life, what I can do? What does God have right now for a church that's almost 75 years old as an organization, but individually beautiful and new? Imagine what a place could be like if we were people who were aware. If we were radically dependent on God's provision. If we were consistently blessing each other with words. If we were uniquely content in a world that just consumes. And that we were flexible when the lure of control is so, so strong. You see, this world will invite you into spaces. It just will. I got begged, not because I'm a great football coach, but I got begged by coaches to come back to a public school and be the presence of God at the school. It doesn't make any sense. Why would a non-Christian ask me to come back and be the presence of God? Because that's how the kingdom works. A few weeks ago, I drove through downtown Los Gatos. My heart was broken, just broken, which is miserable because it was a Sunday morning and I had to preach. I got to preach, but it's kind of hard when your heart is, never mind. And I'm like, I feel like the Lord wants me to do something unique and big or whatever. And the police department, who are unbelievers, call me and say, will you come be our chaplain? Will you come be the presence of God in our police department? I'm like, that doesn't, that stuff is what the world does. And they don't even know it. So if you're sitting there going, I want to make a difference, but I got to force my way in. No, if you're willing and you're obedient to be the presence of Jesus in dark places, The world doesn't understand why, but they're drawn to you and they'll be like, come be the presence of Jesus in our presence. Can't tell you how. I can just tell you the what. I am no different than any of you. I'm just not. I just get to do this. I don't know why things happen. But when God moves, I want you so bad to see it. Because when God moves, it is intoxicating. It is amazing. I had so many plans of how I try to leverage myself into becoming this and this and that. And once I gave those up, God just like, okay, now I'm going to use you. It's just how it happens. Close our time just reading from the book of Hebrews. It says, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood and eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today. If you're new or you just want to connect, we would love to have you back in our Connect gathering real quick just to come say hi. I'd love to meet you just right through the lobbies. But God bless you. Have an amazing, amazing week. Amen. You're welcome, Sean. Thank you, Pastor Sean.